Welcome to the Man Up God's Way podcast, a show that dives into the real, raw, and relevant issues for men and their faith, life, and community. Now, your host, Jody Birkin. Man, it has been another week, and here it is again on a Monday night. Uh, my name is Jody Burkeen. I am your host of the Man Up God's Way podcast and the founder of the Man Up God's Way men's ministry, a ministry that was birthed out of a desire to see men do Christianity and stop being lazy, complacent, and disobedient to God's word. We want to teach them how to love Jesus. We want to teach them how to love their wife and become a great father, learn to serve in church, make disciples, and stay accountable to each other. Uh, that is our goal, and we glad that you're joining us tonight. If you get an opportunity, uh, make sure that you share this. Hit the share button at the bottom. Share this with everybody on your social media platform, um, your friends, your family, uh, even your enemies. We'd love for them to hear this message tonight, and we're really excited to be here. So I got, as usual, in the studio, I got Fergoza. Fergoza, how you doing, brother? Doing good, man. Awesome. Can't complain one bit. Yeah, yeah. Doing good. And uh, we got Ben Neely, my host as well. How you doing, brother? Good. Good, good to see you. Good seeing you, man. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. Busy weekend. Busy weekend. Busy yeah. weekend. Another weekend of bad preaching, but. Yeah, it was a bad preaching. Wasn't it? <laughs> oh, it was good. It was good. <laughs> That's because I'm his preacher. Uh, <laughs> Must yeah. have been real busy. It was. Must have been real busy. No, it was good. Showed up late to a premiere. Yeah, Must exactly. Really yeah. Busy. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, guys, I got things going on. I'm, yeah. I'm telling you. Dude's got you know, it. The made. schedule fills he, up. He's got it made. He's I've never been more content in my life, man. <laughs> I got to tell you, I'm blessed. That's awesome. Yeah, we had uh, Fergoza's new video, Waking Up, uh, video premiere this weekend. That was awesome at a really cool movie theater in uh, the Soulard. No, it's not Soulard. It's um, uh, Maplewood. Maplewood, Maplewood area, Wood area yeah, in High St. Point. Louis, a High Point Theater. It was built in 1920s. Um, I talked to the guy. It was a really cool theater, and yeah. you had uh, quite a few people there to see your new premiere of your new music video and so uh i got it here i want to play it again i mean uh, this is uh get the video oh you got no, the I, don't, track. I don't have the video uh i didn't know if we wanted to play it or not i will uh i'll do my best to share the link in the chat for the actual video. That. yeah I exactly this is a great song the video is really done really well Thank you, man. Adam uh, Adam Miller and Anagram Film did a fantastic job. It's such a good song. Yeah. Oh, no, For the record, I called it out in 2020. You did, yeah. <laughs> that is going to be good. At the, at the Man Up Man conference. conference. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. This was my favorite song. Yeah. All right, we'll hear the chorus, and then we'll... Uh, Pull it back here. Here it comes. Here we go. So I just shared that uh, the link in the chat. If you guys want to go check out the video and support me, um, appreciate that. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. He did a great job, guys. We, it's. I grew up with music videos. You know, they don't have them much anymore. I like watching the music video, yeah. you know. I'll never forget watching MTV the day that it started. So 
Awesome, dude. Great job, man. The shout out. Yeah. yeah, we're proud of you. This is awesome. But hopefully one day when he's up there and singing against 50,000 people, he'll remember us, Ben. Yeah, for the record, I was late, but I got a private screening and I almost died. <laughs> we went over to Tower Grove to eat and uh, then the storm moved in on our way back home down uh, 44. Yeah. But we got home in time and, and where I live, it, it pretty much stayed north of us. I had an umbrella turned over, but there was a pretty serious storm. So right. I risked my life for you, bro. I, yeah. pre- I appreciate it. I appreciate it was pretty, it. pretty bad. I had golf ball size hail in my house. So it was pretty good. Good job for Goza. We're yeah, proud thanks, of you, man. man. I'm glad I did it in the middle of the day because we did, you know, they have, they have at that high point theater. So there's just to give them a shout out. They have the high point theater and then they have the high point backstage. We were at the high point backstage, right. which is a smaller, more intimate, a little bit newer spot. Um, but they have, movies they show every right. night you know on saturday night they got movies but they were willing to give it like, give us a theater for a couple hours for the premiere at like four we would have done it at seven like there was literally a tornado, tornado like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. is it is it is this, that guy chris that let me and my wife watch it alone was he is he like the manager of the yeah venue so he yeah. managed shout out venue. to chris man that would that made our day because we i was heartbroken i thought we weren't going to be able to see it and I, I felt bad because I felt like I disrespected for Goza being late and, uh, and Chris saved the day, man. So awesome. the best part about that is you, you just put a clip up from last week mm-hmm. talking about how this guy foreshadowed that he was going to ditch on the premiere. Cause I squealed like a girl right. when Nan <laughs> yeah. scared me. He says, well, I'm not going to the premiere now. <laughs> yeah, <that was> funny. <laughs> it was a that foreshadow. Was, yeah, yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, for Goza, what do you have for us over there? How do we uh, tell them how we uh, pay for this podcast? Definitely. We have I'm scrambling because I didn't have them ready. We have uh, obviously the two books that we promote. Both your books, your first one, Becoming a Godly Man in an, Ingo- in an Ungodly World. And then the second book, Living Like Jesus Matters, Pursuit of a Godly Life. So um, those two, if you guys go check out the books, purchase them. That's how you support us. All of our it, shirts and everything on ManUpMerch, yep. ManUpMerch.com. We always share that in the chat. Yes. Well, ManUpMerch.com, you get a cool shirt like this. And uh, we got a bunch of stuff on there. Hoodies, baseball caps, uh, all kinds of beanies. So kinds of cool stuff. great segue. Uh, I'm at Walmart with Stacy the other day, and I had this shirt on. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a lady behind the behind the register, and she. I walked up to the register alone because Stacy was looking for something and uh the lady said i like your shirt i just want you to know that and i said well thank you very much and she goes yeah and more men need to do that (laughs) and i said yes they do and then stacy walked up and uh uh, she said i told your husband i liked his shirt and uh and uh i can't remember but stacy gave me a nice compliment she goes well i'm glad i've got a guy that man up and it was a very good moment but it was it was the shirt that started the conversation so it was really cool that is awesome. Well, guys, if you get an opportunity, yeah, go to that. That helps take care of the podcast and our ministry all together at manupmerch.com. And you get some really cool stuff. So, uh, man, I'm excited tonight. We got an amazing guest uh, that uh, we have uh, have been waiting on for a couple of weeks and uh, finally got here. Uh, Jeremy, how are you doing, brother? Doing great. Doing great. Great to be with you guys. Man, we are so glad that you are here, man. Uh, and pronounce your last name again for me. 
Yeah, Stallnecker. It's got a lot of letters in it, but Stallnecker. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't want to, to abuse that. That there, people. You, you you wouldn't be the first one, so don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Pe- people do my last name the same thing. It's Birkin <laughs> or Burger King or something. You know, so get all kinds of stuff. Well, Jeremy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'll do it. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on again. Um, man, we need strong men now, maybe more than ever. And uh, when I look at the the world as it is, and think about my kids growing up in it, I'm really praying that some men will man up and stand up and, and be what God created them to be. So, thank you for what you guys yeah. are doing. Um, yeah, I work with. Uh, so I'll start kind of where I am now and work a little bit backwards. I'll okay. give my testimony, but. I currently work with an organization called the Mighty Oaks Foundation, uh, helped to co-found that back in 2012. And we do a lot of things, but very specifically work with veterans, active duty service members, first responders, and spouses. And we are a faith-based nonprofit that deals with trauma, post-traumatic stress, combat trauma, trauma related to work within the context of those, uh, those areas for veterans, for active duty service members, for first responders. And one of the things that makes us unique there are a lot of folks trying to deal with trauma, post-traumatic stress, and, and all those issues. But what makes us unique is that we approach all of that from a faith perspective. We believe that God, the creator, made us. If he made us, if he created us, then he created us with purpose and design. And if we will learn how to align our lives to the life he created us to live, then the traumas, the difficulties, whatever has happened in our past, we, we would never belittle that or say it's unimportant. It certainly shapes who we are. But it does not have to chain us down or keep us down. We don't have to find our identity in that. Our identity is in uh, God and our relationship with him through Christ, and we can move forward in that. So that's what we do now. We can talk more about that. I uh, accepted Christ when I was uh, a young man, a very young man. I was raised in a pastor's home and accepted Christ when I was uh, five or six. So was I. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, talk about life transformation, right? Growing up in a pastor's home. Yeah. Um, and then I became a pastor. The one thing I said I would never do is what, what God saw fit to, <laughs> to push me into. Um, well, that's what yeah, they, so your I, first mistake was saying what you won't do. <laughs> <laughs> so, so after accepting Christ, um, I went to my dad, the pastor, and said, hey, dad, um, I appreciate what you do. And my dad had started a church. My dad and mom started a church. And uh, my dad, very faithful man of God. When I was 14, I realized, and I always you know, say this kind of half joking, it's only half joking, that the one thing you learn growing up in a pastor's home is that you don't want to be a pastor, right? That's the one thing you learn. <laughs> you may not learn anything else, but learn that. And I uh, said, so Dad, I think God may want me to do something else. And he gave the right answer. He said, do whatever God wants you to do. And I said, I'm glad to hear you say that because I think God wants me to enlist in the Marine Corps. He said, there's no way God could possibly want you to enlist in the Marine Corps. It has to be something <laughs> else. In fact, he said, and you'll appreciate this, um, maybe the Air Force, that, that might be a good route for you to go, um, get to wear a <laughs> uniform, but you don't have to do anything dangerous. <laughs> Just so everybody uh, out there knows that's a shot at me. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> I resemble uh, <laughs> Mark. Um, but uh, no, my dad was very supportive. He did say, we want you to go to college, um, whatever you do, whatever God wants you to do, we want you to pursue that, but we want you to get a college education. That was something that both of my parents struggled through as adults. Both of them um, are very educated, both with uh, multiple degrees, but they got all of those as adults. And so they wanted myself and my, my sisters to go to college. And so we did. Um, so I was commissioned as a second lieutenant after I graduated from, from college, 
served with 1st Battalion, 5th Marines, based out of Camp Pendleton here in Southern California. Um, did a bunch of stuff. It was, it was great. Uh, I was an infantry officer, loved it. My last deployment was in 2003, deployed to um, eventually into Iraq. As part of the initial invasion into Iraq in uh, March of 2003. In fact, we just had our 20th anniversary, our battalion 20th anniversary a couple of weeks ago um, for the Battle of Baghdad on April 10th. But uh, that was my last deployment. Went uh, from Kuwait into Baghdad, into uh, into Iraq. Eventually made our way to Baghdad, retrograded back, and then uh, left the Marine Corps. Um, started working on a church staff. Uh, God got a hold of my heart, and uh, I could talk a lot about that. I had a difficult transition. I started working at a church staff, eventually pastored, and then God brought all of that together to do uh, what we do now with the Mighty Oaks Foundation. So, so, God, so God was working in your heart in the Marines or after the Marines? Yeah, in the Marines. You know, it's interesting, and I, I am so much a local church person. I believe in the local church. I believe in the power of the local church. Um, yeah. I believe, you know, Jesus was telling the truth when he said he gave his blood for Acts <laughs> chapter 20. And a big part of that for me is experiential Um the Bible talks about how important it is, but for myself, my family, when I was in the Marine Corps, I, I had grown up in a pastor's home. I was certainly not against church or against God or any of those things. Um, I just wasn't as interested in that as I was being a Marine and doing what I wanted to do, <laughs> but I was married and I had a, a small child. We had a six month old when we moved to uh, Southern California. And the one thing I knew for sure was that we had to get into a, a church, found a good church. And it was newly planted, but it was growing and going and God was blessing and working. And through the ministry of that local church, uh, God really got a hold of my heart. It didn't take long before. Uh, it's crazy. All I ever wanted to do was get away from ministry and be a Marine. Uh, and it didn't take long before God moved my heart to where I just wanted to get away from the Marine Corps and be in ministry. Um, and that's a longer story than just that. But yeah, God really used that time to, to get a hold of me. And so when I was in Iraq, I knew that when I came home, I'd be getting out of the Marine Corps and starting to work. I'd gotten a job at that church. And so I was home uh, less than 30 days before I was out of the Marine Corps and working on the church staff. Yeah. Wow. Pretty crazy. Yeah. Wow. And you went straight from the fire to the fire. <laughs> yeah. I always tell people I went from something difficult to something really hard. Right. right. <laughs> so, <laughs> leading Marines in combat was pretty hard, but uh, yeah. man, that transition to church ministry, um, Probably because you can't shoot them. Yeah, you know, it's funny. <laughs> you leave Marines in combat, um, and then I came home, and I couldn't get volunteers to do their job on Saturday night. So, um, <laughs> man, that, a loss of identity, trying to figure out what in the world was going on, right? Uh, I was a mess for a while. Yeah, it was, it was a tough yeah. time. Jody, uh, Jody always says that uh, uh, men's ministry is like herding cats. <laughs> <laughs> it couldn't, it couldn't be more the truth. That's all of ministry, I think. Right? Yeah. yeah that's exactly. Right. Exactly. So, so you went, you went back to, or you went to pastoring, and um, after after the military. So, how did? Um, let me ask this: Did you have to deal with your own personal PTSD and um, issues coming in from Iraq and? Uh, wartime stuff. Uh, I know the, I know a lot of men that deal with that and uh, that that really struggle. You know, just just with the whole of what happened. You know, first of all, and then trying to just reconcile that with you know this life. All of a sudden, you know, you go from being told what to do twenty four seven and right. uh, doing all the same things, and you're kind of in this this habit. And then all of a sudden, it's almost like prison. You know, you always hear a lot of prison guys that. 
you know, they've been so routine, routine all, all their life. And all of a sudden they have this freedom and it's like, what do I do now? Right. And that's where the stinking thinking kicks in. So how did you have to, how did you, ha- how did you deal with that? And what did you do to, to help yourself? So, man, that was a crazy time. So it's 2003, first of all. So we just got to keep that in context, right? Uh, post-traumatic stress, post-traumatic stress disorder, all of these issues that we regularly talk about now weren't discussed. I mean, we could look in the literature going back um, to the Peloponnesian Wars and see people talking about or read people talking about what today we call post-traumatic stress disorder. But it was something that was recognized in combat veterans, but there was nothing prescribed. There was no course of... Um, whatever, attention, medical attention or anything right. else. So people weren't really talking about it. In fact, if you had asked me in 2003, is post-traumatic stress disorder a thing? I would have said, absolutely not. <laughs> no, right. They just need to man up. Maybe I would have said that, right? And, right? and really what it is, is you can stand up and do your job. But when I came home from Iraq, literally, you know, weeks after being in a combat environment, leading Marines in combat, um, working on a church staff, I had never dealt with, with, any of that transition, any of that process, any of the things that happened in Iraq. And, and even now I have a hard time kind of understanding everything that happened then in, in right. my heart. I know the fruit of it. I'm not sure what caused it all. I think most of what I was dealing with was just a complete lack of identity. I, from 14 years old, knew that I wanted to be a Marine. Um, I focused my entire life on that. I became a Marine. I wanted to be an, an infantry Marine. And infantry Marines want to serve in combat. All of those things lined up for me. When I went to Iraq, there were very few people in the United States who had served in a combat environment. Um, We were uh, not not figuratively the tip of the spear. I was the second vehicle back in the column that breached the berm into Iraq. I navigated for our battalion from Kuwait all the way to Baghdad. The Battle of Baghdad was a major event that happened on April 10th. Um, So not only was I part of that, you know, combat, that I had thought about and trained for, but a very historically significant moment. And then coming home and feeling completely lost, feeling like no one understood what I had done or where I had been, what I had accomplished, you know, all of those things we tell ourselves, I'm, I'm more important than I really am, right? But I felt important. And then struggled just to maintain a good relationship with my wife. And I became extremely angry. Um, I, I tell these stories and people think I'm joking. I I sat in church staff meetings and as an infantry officer, I'd sit in staff meetings and with other Marines. And the way it functioned was if, if you have a strong belief, you yell until everyone stops yelling and then you win because you kept talking. Right. So like (laughs) I'm just more passionate about my position, which means I must be right. Church staff (laughs) meetings for anyone listening do not function that way. No. Um, it took me a little while to figure that out, though. So I'd sit with these other guys who – these guys are my friends. I've known them for a long time now. But at the time, I'm like, you went to Bible college and did what? What have you ever done with your life, right? I, I, <laughs> I was in the Marine Corps. I led Marines in combat. Um, I've been all over the world. I've done important stuff. Uh, what have you blown up lately, right? Like, you've, you haven't right. done anything. Um, um Man, and I sit in worship – in these – sit next to our worship pastor who we, we shared an office – and I listened to him talk and some of the other assistants talk. And I'm like, what are you guys even talking about? I just couldn't get my brain around what was happening. And so I get very angry. Pastor would throw me out of his office. Um, <laughs> I learned how to behave at church, but then I took it home and I was a disaster at home. Um, 
mm-hmm. you know, my, my, my wife and I had been married, I think two years, we had a, a baby, a couple of kids, I guess at that time, two young kids. And the fact that my wife stayed with me is a testament to God's grace and, you know, yeah. her love. And, um, I, I was a mess. And you can only and- imagine how hard that is to, especially coming from, you know, a military setting. I've talked to other individuals like me who are athletes in college. So college athletes and, and on a high level and, and used to just, you say, jump, okay, how high, this is where we're going. And I struggled in church, just the same of even in corporate Mm -hmm. world. Like, what are these people doing? Like, what is happening? It has to be like to the umpteenth coming from the military. Um, just on that level, we call them the NARPs. Uh, non-athletic regular people like right. not with the NARPs right trying to trying to get people to kind of jump in and stand in line I'm sure you feel like that pretty much everywhere you go yeah <laughs> well and you know at that time of my life not only was I in the military and again in Iraq and this historically significant event all these things I had in my mind right the infantry community of the Marine Corps is a hyper aggressive very type a environment so so it was all of those other things plus that and in, in, in my world, the world that I came from, you being angry was an asset. It was not a liability. Right. But then bringing that into a church environment, bringing that into a home environment, it, and yeah, it, it obviously was not an asset. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it took, you know, my wife, it took my pastor calling me into his office uh, 11 months after I had started working there saying, look, this isn't working. You, you either need to figure this out or you need to go somewhere else. I love you. I love your family but we just can't do this anymore. And, and really confronting me, I mean, kind of the first person that ever confronted me and said like, you're out of line, like your right. behavior, this is not okay. And I don't know what's wrong, but this is not okay. We can figure it out, but you have to be willing to figure it out. My dad uh, stepping into that role as well. And, and me coming to a realization that I needed to take responsibility for myself. Right. I needed to be responsible for the things I could control. I needed to learn how to manage or understand the things I couldn't control. I needed to find my identity, not what I used to do or what I think I am capable of back there, but what God has called me to right now. And that, that led me into a very long process of many years, but that really was a starting point for me to understand how to move forward in spite of what has happened in my past. Wow. Wow. You know, it's as you were going through those things that you're trying to figure out, that's also what they teach in the military. You know, yep. you've got to find yourself here. You've sure. got to do the right thing. You've got to, you know, understand your job. You got to, and like, it, that's what you do in the ministry as well. You've got to, you know, but it's a completely different mentality because it's spiritual. You know, right. you're learning, you're learning the spiritual side of it instead of the physical side of it or the mental side of it. You know, military, I was in the army, I was in uh, Desert Storm. So I'm a little bit older than, most of the guys here. So <laughs> here uh, on earth. Is yeah. Here on earth. Yeah, here exactly. On earth. Here on earth. Yeah. I did hear that you watched the first episode of MTV. So yeah, right. Totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did. I, I was in burn desert storm too, but I never yeah. got closer than Alaska. Yeah. I was, uh, <laughs> I was with the big red one. Um, oh yeah. Uh, so I was at a cow scout, um, Calvary scout, which we were like glorified infantry men. Yeah. Uh, Back in those days, we were doing, uh, they didn't have, they had just come out with the smart bombs, but we would stand, you know, back on our um, uh, M3 Bradleys and we would point a laser at the building. And that's how they would, you know, then you'd see it blow up, you know, now they got GPS, but back then that's how, how long ago that was. But uh, I don't even remember what my point was now. Oh, I know what it was. 
but I think a lot of times, you know, we have this, you know, especially men in general, you know, as a, as a man, especially a Lieutenant, I was, uh, I was enlisted. And, uh, as you know, somebody like you as a Lieutenant, I mean, you've got a lot of, of, of power to an extent, you know, you tell people what to do, they have to do it. You know, they, they understand that chain of command mentality, uh, and then you come out of the the military and you go into the civilian life, and it's all of a sudden nobody knows yeah. what the chain of command is anymore. You know yeah. they don't they don't have that respect, and especially when you're in ministry, it's it's a uh, you know ninety five percent of them are volunteer, and so it's kind of like you know you you've got to redirect and re uh, yeah. really your 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 personality, uh, and that's why I was asking you know especially with the ministry that you have now like. The process that you had to go through is that is that how you ended up starting the ministry that you have now for veterans so i went through that and you know i always say it took me a year to get through that my wife would say it took about 10 years for me to get through that <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it was a process but for me part of the process of moving forward was to stop looking backwards right and so even though i was working at a church in oceanside right outside of camp pendleton we had a lot of marines in our church i was involved with Marine families, military families, uh, I, I very intentionally stopped thinking about what I had done. And that meant in part, I, I didn't stay connected to anyone that I had served with. Um, really, in a lot of ways, just walked away from the Marine Corps. Mm. I served on that church staff for a few years. I became the senior pastor of a church up in the San Francisco Bay Area, in the city of Fremont, just south of Oakland. And Felt like I was on a different planet. I mean, there are no military folks in, you know, in the Oakland area. I'm sure there's some, but uh, that was definitely not a very patriotic, you know, pro-America kind of environment. Right. And I was pastoring there. I was invited by Chad Robichaud, who started the Mighty Oaks Foundation. He was just getting it started. He had accepted Christ. He's a Marine recon veteran, um, wanted to share what he had learned with other veterans who were struggling. I met him at that point, and he's... I'm, starting this thing. And I've got some Marines coming that served with you. Would you come and be a part of, of this first you know thing we're doing, I'm trying to figure this out. And so 10 years after I left the Marine Corps, I was now sitting in Colorado with a group of guys that I had served with in the Marine Corps. And it's kind of a, I mean, there's a lot I could say here, but I was so proud of the fact that I brought these guys home and as I sat there 10 years later, I learned that some of those guys I brought home and committed suicide, had gone through terrible divorces, were struggling to make it in life. Wow. And my decision to walk away, um, it, it was all about me. And as I sat there with them, I realized that putting the uniform in the closet for the last time did not end my service. It didn't end my responsibility to those guys. And particularly... Now that I had the opportunity to share the gospel with them, um, a very different place in my life, a very different opportunity. And, um, you know, Chad was getting mighty started. He's like, I need help. I don't know how to do this thing. I just accepted Christ. You're a pastor. Maybe we can put our passions together and figure this out. And uh, so, yeah, it, it, to your question, indirectly, me struggling through that put me in a place where several Hi. years later, I was able to go, oh, now I understand. And God Praise brought those God. pieces together. Yeah. Praise God. That is awesome. Wow. So, so this was 2013. 
Yeah, right? in 2012. Yeah. 2012, yep. 2013. That's that's when uh, Man Up started. Yeah. Uh, 2012. So we're we're right on the same path there. Awesome. Yeah. So we have um, we deal a lot with veterans as well, uh, not as a as a ministry, just through the discipleship um, arm of Man Up God's Way, and we right. see a lot of you know the the PTSD and um, you know the things that are going on that in, in their life that it's just they they just have the the stinking thinking it's the re- reoccurring memories and the thoughts that that continue to go on and um as you're as you're dealing with veterans you know uh, especially those that are you know high strung and they're you know strung out uh they're they're drinking they're yeah. you know just in in these places to where they just can't get those thoughts out of the head what is the what's the process for mighty oaks foundation and and um, if there are veterans listening, matter of fact, I just texted one of my buddies. Uh, he's one of our uh, moderators on our Facebook pages. Uh, he's awesome. he's in the Marines and he's he's got PTSD. Um, and uh, I just texted. I said, listen to the podcast. And so for guys like that that are listening, yeah. like what what would be the process or the procedure for Mighty Oaks Foundation? So let me let me say this first for anyone listening. I'll give you the easiest link I have. You can go to the Mighty Oaks Foundation. You can find us there. But my name, Jeremy Stolnicker, um, jeremystolnicker.com. That takes you to a web page that I have, and it has links out to everything. So you can find the Mighty Oaks Foundation. You can find everything there just using my name. And, we've and that. yeah. That's in the chat right now. So that's, that's the best place for someone to start if they want to get connected to us. I'll tell you what we do really big picture though. And I, I can okay. talk specifics if you'd like. No, that's perfect. Let's start but, there. Okay. Big picture is, is this, I think most people that are struggling with, let's say the relationship issues, um, the alcohol issues, the uh, illicit behaviors, pornography, those kind of things that, that, right you know, we would all recognize as this all comes into that package, right? The veterans deal with this stuff. Often what happens is there is a trauma in the past. And, and I'll, I'll tell you that better than 50% of the men who come to our program would say they're dealing with combat related trauma or trauma related to their work as a police officer, firefighter. But when you really peel it back, what they're dealing with is sexual trauma as children other traumas that they carried into the military with them. So regardless of, of what the traumatic event or events were, because of a lack of, um, I'll say identity, and I'll try to unpack that a little bit in a minute, but right. because of a lack of identity, because of not knowing what to do with how you feel about what happened in your past, yeah. bad decisions are made. And those bad decisions then lead to depression, lead to suicidal thoughts, lead to broken relationships. People who have struggled with trauma in their past, even deep trauma in their past, can still have good relationships and meaningful lives and live with purpose and hope and direction and be used by God. But at the center of that often is a series of very bad decisions and trying to find comfort and healing or just numbing out in medication and in those other illicit behaviors. So what we do is we identify that things do happen, but those things don't have to control us, but you don't find purpose in what you did. You don't find purpose in the job that you had. You don't find purpose in the uniform or the rank or what people used to call you, (laughs) that chain of command. You need to find purpose in who God created you to be. 
And when you find purpose in who God created you to be, then you can begin to experience first spiritual healing. We are told that we'll become a new creation in Christ. when We have a relationship uh, with God through Christ because of what he did on the cross on our behalf. And then we can grow from there. And there are a lot of things we would talk about going to church, reading your Bible, praying, spending time with others, uh, having people that are on the same page as you connected to you, those, those brothers that you can depend on, who can support you. But really just very basic, very fundamentally, very foundationally, it's about understanding God still has a plan for you, regardless of what happened back here, but you've got to let go of what happened back here in order to move into that purpose and plan. I didn't say forget, right. we're not going to forget it, but you've got to let go of it. How do you let go of it? By pursuing what God has set in front of you. Mm, that's good. That's good. So, so in these, in these, um, are they counseling sessions? Is that what you guys do? Or do you do retreats? We have, we have, it would be close to retreat. So 35 weeks a year in one of five locations across the country, we've got ranches across the country. Um, we do week long retreats where men or women, we have men's programs and women's programs will come to one of those facilities um, we cover the program. We cover the cost of travel. There's no financial output. We just want folks to come and get the help that they need. And we spend five days um, really teaching some very basic principles. We have classes like character and discipline, just some very basic life um, application classes. But every person that's at that session is broken into a team. So they have a lot of time during the week to break out how this class applies to their life and, and putting again into their personal context, how they can live out what we're talking about. Right. Um, and, and, you know, importantly, it's not just Christians that attend our program. In fact, for many, many years, very few Christians attended our programs. Um, we're a non-clinical program, which, which means a lot of things. Uh, importantly, it means that if you're in a job that has a top secret clearance or you're currently working as a police officer, firefighter, uh, nothing will go in your record book if you come to one of our programs. So a lot of folks who don't care about God or faith would attend. Over the course of that week, we typically have about uh, 70%, uh, more or less, uh, that would make a profession of faith during that week. But we don't start there. We start with, you know, we all have a common struggle. All of our, uh, all of our team leaders, all of our instructors are either veterans, they're in the military, they're in the first responder community. So we're speaking very much peer to peer. And we're just talking about what God has done in our lives and we want to help you move forward as well. So very, very basic. Um, but again, principally, it's starting with the spiritual, starting with understanding who we are, um, created by God, finding hope and purpose in him, and then working out the rest of it. There's a lot to work out, but we can work out the rest of it if we have that foundation first established. So how, how do you do that in five days? Yeah, five days is the starting point. Um, okay. And it, it's, I was talking to someone today um, who was asking me questions about what we do and how we do it. And and I just had to stop and say, unless you've been there and unless you've seen it, it's really right. hard to explain. <laughs> but you have men and women come to a place, they typically end up with us because they've tried everything else, they have nowhere else to go. And they're very skeptical, but what they hear, we're very testimonial based. So every class that's taught starts with the testimony of the person who's teaching it. Um, we're very transparent about our own struggles, our own issues. And, and many of those are very deep, deep issues. Um, but what that does, is it connects to the students who are there. Uh, 
That transparency builds trust. And we really do our best over the course of five days to push those students into a position where they have to make a decision. I'm going to begin moving forward in my life or I'm not, but no, it's a decision. I get to make it. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's unbelievable to watch God work in that setting. And we have a a very specific um, process that we follow. It starts really big. We don't talk a lot about God right up front. Uh, Mm -hmm. We build a relationship. We work to that over the course of a couple of days. Um, But then at the end of our program, we have an aftercare program. We do our best to get every student into a local church in their community, wherever they come from. We'll help them get into biblical counseling if they need that. We'll help them in their marriage if if that's what they need. And so we realize that's just the starting point for a lot of people. Wow. Wow. That is really good. That is good. So what is what does aftercare look like? Is that a clinical or is that just accountability or just ongoing, you know, yeah. just staying in their lives, so to speak? Staying in their lives. Nothing that we do is clinical. Um, okay. Most of the people that attend one of our programs have access to all of the clinical pro- programs uh, and, and most of them have tried most of the clinical programs. For us, aftercare is it has a lot of pieces. Right. But, we have at every one of those sessions, one of those week-long sessions, what we call a mentor. Uh, that's someone who's there to help with the aftercare process. They get yeah. to know the students. They stay engaged with every one of the students in that session for six months after the session ends. We work to get them in a local church if they don't have one. Sometimes they'll go to we don't know every community. So sometimes we'll recommend a church based on a statement of faith. It just doesn't work out for one reason or another. We'll work with them to try to connect them to the right place. Um, we have a huge network of biblical counselors that we're connected to. So we'll, free of charge to them, help them get to a biblical counselor if they need ongoing counseling. Um, often there is substances or other you know, things that we just can't deal with in, in a week, obviously. And they need someone who is experienced in that. So we'll connect them to that. Uh, we work with family life and focus on the family to scholarship our graduates into their uh, marriage programs. So we'll try to get them help for their marriages. And that comes with its own set of aftercare. We have what we call outposts. They're small groups that meet. And I think 40, I think we have 45 right now, uh, different churches across the country. And we're continuing to expand that. So um, anything and everything we can do to stay involved with those who, who want us to be involved in their lives, we do. And uh, sometimes that even means, making it possible for someone to attend a second time to come back, but we'll do everything we can to, to walk with them after they graduate. Wow. That is amazing. And so the 35 camps that you have, um, and those are all throughout the United States, right? And you guys are setting this up and training the leaders of those camps. Is that what you're basically doing? Yeah. So, you know, mighty Oaks foundation, we have 25 full-time employees and then we, train volunteers, essentially. Um, now, some of them, they are there an awful lot, right? But right. Um, they're not employees per se. We, we cover their cost of their travel and, the, and that, but they're not employees. But they're graduates of our program. We have a about a year-long process that we take team leaders through. So they've graduated from our program. And over the next year, we work with them, train them to get to the point where they can then lead teams uh, on their own. And so we just continue that process again and again and again. Uh, this year we'll have about 700 people graduate, seven or 800 people graduate from our program uh, at one of those week-long programs. And that takes, yeah, a lot of coordination. Um, 
Wow. We do a lot of logistics. We buy a lot of airline tickets and do a lot of that. <laughs> I move a lot of people around and do a lot of training, but it's, yeah, it's pretty awesome to be a part of. So there's no cost to the veteran whatsoever, including airline. Including the, including, yeah, whatever the travel looks like, we, we cover not only the cost of that week of program, but the travel to get back and forth. Um, we made a decision a long time ago that if God would provide the funds, the resources, right. we wanted to remove every obstacle that anyone would use and hurting people use any obstacle they can not to get better, uh, right. which seems counterintuitive. Um, but we wanted to remove every obstacle we possibly could. And that was a big one. So, so we've been doing that for, uh, yeah, since the very beginning. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That yeah. is really cool. Yeah. So with the, um, obviously the VA is failing veterans mm. in, in more than one way than, than another. Um, have you gone to them at all to, to get assistance? Are you getting assistance from them or, you know, are you able to show data to them and say, Hey, look, you know, send them to us. Yeah. So I, I don't want to get political, so I won't, but okay. in our previous uh, presidential administration, um, we were actually working with the administration through, they had an office of faith-based programming at the right. VA and we were starting to work with them um, to develop a pipeline, not just to us, but to other faith-based nonprofits. Right. And Structurally, it was fantastic. We had uh, great communication um, with them, and that shut down after the election. Um, so what we, what we have now is kind of a de facto pipeline, if you will. Right. It's VA counselors and folks who work in the in-processing areas of the VA who will recommend people unofficially to attend Mighty Oaks programs. And we have that quite a bit. It's, it's actually pretty regularly. Um, we do a lot of work with active duty military units. Uh, in fact, the Air Force uh, Yellow Ribbon Program, which is a huge program that they fund for pre and post deployment. Uh, we keynote those. We do breakouts there. So um, it, so that's a long way of saying, yes, we work with the, the VA or people in the VA, but not the VA as an organization, but within right. within the VA. And there are a lot of folks who, who look and go, you know what would be best for you <laughs> is this <laughs> program. Here's a brochure. So. So that's a lot of what we do. And then through the military or the active duty military units as well. Yeah. Wow. Holy cow. Man, I'm impressed big time. Well, praise God. It's been, now, it's been interesting to see those doors open. Yeah. You could have gone over this. Um, you know, a lot of times during the podcast, I'm talking on chat and reading stuff and trying to come up with questions. Uh, did you cover funding? How you folks are funding the majority of this? Yeah, we didn't cover that. Um, we are funded entirely privately by donation. So we have some um, incredible partners who make it possible. We've not had to or ever wanted to take federal funds or anything like that. Um, yeah. Restrictions come with that. What's interesting, you know, speaking of the VA, we could receive funding through the VA, but we'd also have to have a uh, clinician on site at every program that we do, yeah. <laughs> which right. is like, it's the opposite of what we do, right? So I'm not against clinicians or you know, the VA, but that's just not what we do. So praise God, we've had some incredible donors come along over the years. And um, as we've grown, um, God has, has continued to bring in the finances as well. So individuals give, we have a lot of individual donors, $25 a month donors and, and that kind of thing, which is incredible. And then we have some other larger folks who, who give to us as well. Are you, uh, are you finding that, that 
most of the people that come out and are successful, does the road normally end with God? I mean, are they, are most of them coming to a relationship with God? Most of, most of the people who come through our program and it will look different, right? For each person. Um, if you say end with a relationship with God, for some people, it's restoring a relationship with God. For other people, it's coming to Christ. They've never heard the gospel ever. And they come to Christ during that week. Um, for others, it's we're very happy about what we learned this week. We're not sure we buy into the God thing. Um, and we'll say, well, that's, you know, it's fine. That's completely on you. But if you want success, you need to be in a church. You need to be in prayer. You need to be in the word. We have four things we tell people yeah. to do when they go home. Be in church, uh, be in prayer, be in scripture, and be in fellowship with, with other men or women, as the case may be. And so those who will go through that process, even if they're not too sure about the God thing, um, eventually will will find themselves you know, confronted with the truth of the gospel. And so and not every person that, that comes to the program accepts Christ, but the vast majority um, certainly do or, or make a recommitment. Yeah. High success rate. It is. We. I'll, I'll give you the wrong number if I try to give you the exact number, but it's yeah. over 4,000 graduates that we've had attend the program. And we look at success a lot of ways. One of those is how many made a profession of faith. Um, probably the easiest metric when we have so much information about veteran suicide, first uh, responder suicide, the easiest metric to look at for us is we have a lot of folks who are coming to us that are what we call high risk in that they've either ideated or attempted suicide. Um, in fact, a lot of people, their story at the end of the week will be, I came this week knowing that if this didn't work for me, I would go home on Saturday and end my life. And over the course of, you know, since 2012, I think we've had two graduates that have uh, taken their lives, which one is tragic, two is terrible. Um, but the active duty suicide rate right now is almost five a day. The veteran suicide right now, uh, suicide rate right now, at least the VA tells us, is somewhere close to 20 a day. Uh, a big study just came out last month, two months ago, uh, that would put that number realistically at probably twice that. We don't know exactly. There's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but it's very, very high. Um, first responder community suicide rates are very, very high. And so, um, you know, that's one of the metrics that we're very proud of, of course, and, and why we continue to stay in people's lives. So, so do you have... Um... So if you look back over past wars, <clears throat> World War One, World War Two, <clears throat> Korean War, Vietnam War, you know, all the way up through here, is the data, is it kind of constant or is it, you know, because in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, during World War Two, we lost, you know, so many men. And, yeah. Uh, the world, you know, they came back, they were, it sound, you know, the way that they talk, it's stronger and they came back and they put their nose to the grindstone. They, you know, ended up... Yeah you know, getting the, the, the United States out of, uh, you know, recessions and, you know, that's when the gro growth of the United States happened. And were, I guess my question is, were the men tougher back then or was it more you know, like, do you have any data whatsoever that would say, no, it's about the same suicide rate. We just didn't hear about it. Uh, I don't, I think it was 19 again, I'll get this wrong too. 82 <laughs> or 83. Um, early 80s, that the um, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental and Emotional Disorders, I think it was version four at the time, 
um, first defined post-traumatic stress disorder. And I don't, I don't believe that experiencing trauma or post-traumatic stress makes you disordered. So, so I, I disagree with some of the premise of that, but that was the first time it was defined. And what that means is that was the first time data began to be collected specifically on that. So we just don't have the numbers. And, and even when you look at the suicide rate now, what we can't quantify is how many accidents, how many, you know, what we call accidents um, were actually suicides, right. how many, particularly in the first responder community, how many suicides because they were found by friends will never be reported as suicides, they'd be reported as something else. So going back to Vietnam, going back to uh, previous wars, I, I don't think we know. Um, okay. I, I do know that 60 plus percent of veterans that take their lives are over 50. And that's something that would say, wow. uh, you know, this is not a young person's uh, problem. <laughs> it's right. the problem that people who have never gotten the help they need uh, end up eventually dealing with later on in their lives. Um, it was a different world. I think culture has a lot to do with that. We know the suicide rates are up among young people, among middle-aged adults in the United States. And so, I think the numbers would follow that trajectory. Um, it's funny, my, my grandfather was a World War II veteran, and that was the greatest generation. They came home and they built, but they also uh, abused their wives and kids. Right. They, drank, they drank heavily. They socially um, were very distant. Yeah. So we have replaced you know, what they did, which is working hard and staying away from everyone. Um, with other things. I think we've accepted a victim mentality that they just didn't accept or understand at that time. Um, so I, there are a lot of differences, but I think it's probably more similar than it is different. Right. I, I just didn't, I, you know, I didn't know if there was data out there that would, you know, it's more of an yeah. assumption on my part because you just hear of, you right. know, the story, even like, you know, my uncle uh, who was in Vietnam shot twice uh, you know, had cancer from Agent Orange and was just, he could eat bullets and, you know, drink rattlesnake. Yeah. Poison yeah. And not yeah. think twice about it. And then, but he was distant. Uh, he was, you know, exactly like you're saying, he never talked about it. And, you know, he, I mean, he died in his, late sixties, early seventies, um, you know, never talking about, or, you know, getting help or anything like right. that. He just kind of dealt with it. So I know, right. I know there's a lot of people that do that. As a, as a kind of a side issue too. And I think this is something that's definitely changed. Um, our society has in a sense incentivized um, not getting better. Right. When World War II veterans came home, Korean War veterans, um, Vietnam veterans came home, they had access to the Veterans Administration. Um, some services there if they were physically ill or something like that. But um, now there are a lot of folks who, if they get better from things like post-traumatic stress and some of the kind of mental illness stuff that we talk about, uh, they'll also lose the money that goes along with that. And so, you know, I ponder, that's a question I ponder, how much of it is we've, we've incentivized, um, you know, a lot of what we're seeing and, and, and keeping people from getting better and why that matters. I mean, there's a lot of reasons it matters, but we have a generation of young men and women for the sake of today, a lot of young men who have been taught how to be leaders have been taught how to stand up and do hard things in very difficult times. 
but they're not, they're sitting on the sideline because, you know, there's something that's keeping them from standing up and doing the hard things. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I've always, I've always wanted, you know, I'm 55 and I just, I watch you know, some of these younger guys in ministry and, as a as a pastor and I look at some of these guys coming up in through our ministry and 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 it's just kind of like, oh my gosh, man, they needed to be, you know, out back, beat with a switch, <laughs> and, you know, grab an axe and cut some wood and haul uh, some hay. And it was kind of like uh it's just it's just like we've got as and what I'm noticing is the further the society gets away from God, uh right. the, the weaker our men get. That's and it. That, that's what scares me more than anything is that we're we're falling so far from well that. and and just in general i mean when you're talking about first responders military and all this stuff i mean these these men and women are spending a lot of time in darkness mm-hmm. yeah they're, they're 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 in these situations that as humans we That's shouldn't good. be yeah, and I've never even been in combat. I've got my, you know, my friend, Steve, mm-hmm. he was an army ranger. He was enlisted. He became, he worked his way up to, to captain after he got his degree and he was in, uh, you know, he was, I can't remember the places he was in, but you know, I, I, Steve to this day, Steve doesn't want to be around crowds of people. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think he deals with a, a lot of PS PTSD anymore, but there are, there's definitely some things that I see yeah. and more I can tell He's, he's been, I mean, Steve could be a, a risk management person. I always tell him that he's a director of operations for a company, but he sees every single risk of mm. every single thing all the time. Right. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, if, if you're in the, you know, it's kind of like a, a, a cop that goes bad, the darkness overcomes them. Right. The, every every person that becomes a cop becomes a cop because they want to go and they want to save the world and they want right. to do good for people. And there's some that the darkness overcomes and there's yeah. some that it doesn't overcome. And I don't know what to attribute it to. What screams to me in this is I, I say a lot and I don't remember where I first heard it. So this is not my original thought. It is so important for people especially well, Christians are the only ones that are going to understand it to understand the providence and the, and the uh, sovereignty of God. Right. And every single day we're responsible for the choices we make and we're responsible for our sin, but there's some juxtaposition between that and God still being in control of our lives. And one of my, my favorite story in the Bible is the story of Genesis Joseph. And at the end, after, after his father dies at the end in Genesis 50, his brothers, they come back and now their dad's dead and they drop before him. And they're worried that now that their dad's dead, he's going to do something to them to get them back mm-hmm. for being sold into slavery, thrown into a well, falsely accused by all these horrible things that happen to a righteous person. And this is what he says to them in verse 19. But Joseph said to them, do not fear for am I in the place of God? Yeah, I'm right where earlier in the book, he tells them, you didn't send me to Egypt. God sent me to Egypt. Yeah. And then he says, do not fear for, for am I not in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it, that it means everything that they did, that everything that happened to him. What's yeah. the it? The it is thrown into a well, sold right. in the free. Uh, bought by Potiphar, accused by his wife, imprisoned, right? 
but God meant it for good to bring it to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. There's a purpose for our life. You, you just said it earlier. What you're trying to show them is that God loves them and that there is a purpose past all the darkness that they've been right. through in their life. Right. And it is so important for us to grasp the providence and the sovereignty of God, because in that, in finding that now we don't worry. Now the regret goes away. Now the shame goes away because even though we know we're responsible for our bad choices and our sin, that God did not allow anything to happen to us that he did not want to happen for whatever reason that he wanted Joseph to go through all that Hmm. to get to where he was the second most powerful man in Egypt. Yeah. You know, anyway, that's just what was screaming to me as you're talking about all this is just just man if people just understood yeah. that, that god is is sovereign over your life and that his unseen hand his providence is guiding everything good bad and indifferent in our lives and we could just stay focused on the good that's going to come out of it in the end yeah i i think it's it's also important to recognize to your point and that's, that's an incredible point right it, it's important to recognize that <clears throat> We can talk about two things at the same time and they can both be true. So post-traumatic stress is a real thing. And we could spend an entire episode talking about the physiology, right? And how our brain is designed to store information that eventually at some point, given the same inputs, will cause a physical reaction that keeps us safe. God created us that way. So when you, you know you talk about your friend who doesn't want to be in crowds and there are things where I am, I get very uncomfortable for no good reason. It's connected to something that I don't understand, right? The post-traumatic stress thing and the trauma, we could talk about uh, children who have been abused. I mean, incredibly traumatic situation. 70% of Americans will experience a clinically diagnosable traumatic event at some point in their lives. So, so uh, post-traumatic stress, that's a real thing. But as Christians, we're able to put it in the right context, as you just mentioned, and understand that the fact that we've been through something traumatic does not excuse bad behavior. So I can acknowledge that I've been through something difficult. I even feel a certain way about things. Maybe I feel a little angrier than I should. Maybe I've responded in a way that I shouldn't. What's happened to me in my past is real. It has a real physiological impact on me. It can have an emotional impact on me, but that does not um, excuse my bad behavior. Well, understanding as Joseph did that God is sovereign. I'm not God, (laughs) nor am I sovereign. That God does have a plan allows me to put all of that in a context that puts me in the place of going, well, God has a purpose for me in this. God has a plan for me in this. And he can use even what others meant for evil in my life to be good for others. But we have to not only accept responsibility we have to stop thinking that the world revolves around us. And and that's a big part of that, right? Joseph knew, all right, God used this in my life so I could be a blessing to the world. (laughs) And we need to know God allowed some of these things to happen in my life. And he's going to use me to be a blessing in someone's world. 
Yeah, that's the great thing about God, too. That's uh, There's that juxtaposition I talk about. Like, Joseph's brothers don't get to say, well, you know what? If we wouldn't have done what we did, then right. Joseph wouldn't have gone on his journey and saved all these people, right? They're responsible for what they did. Yeah. But God used it for his purposes. That's right. Yep, that's right. That's good. So when you're when you're dealing with these guys, you know, one, if you, I mean, one, you can't start with the sovereignty of God because they'd be like all ticked off about, gosh, <laughs> really? You know, he put yeah. me through this, you know, and then I had to go through this because, because that, that, that would be a, and again, it is the sovereignty of God, but they don't get that. They, they no, I get it. it. Yeah. They don't, no, I'm not saying you're, yeah. you know, I've just, I'm like in this process of talking to, to veterans, it's, there's, you've got it. I love what you were talking about earlier that you having to get through the minutia of, of their life in general and just get down to the, uh, because you're right. Majority of these guys, it's not just the war that they went through. It was also the lifestyle that they had. And most of the military, I went in, I was, um, I was 19 years old. Right. I, I just turned 20 when I had joined, I'd flunked out of college. Uh, I was doing nothing but drinking and drugging. And, uh, I was a couple of years older than most of the guys going in <clears throat> at that time. And man, they were, they all just came from bad places. You know, I just, I was, I just needed to grow up, you know, mm -hmm. and I had a great childhood. You know, my parents took care of me. I grew up in a relatively middle-class life. And, but a lot of the guys that were in the army at the time were not in good places. They weren't, you know, they didn't have loving families. They didn't right. have all of that. And uh, I, I did not keep up with them. Um, anybody, as a matter of fact, I don't even know that I, you know, but that was also 30 years ago. So, uh, I can't imagine what their lives are now if they didn't get number one, right with God or, uh, and you said something a while ago that just kind of made me, made me realize it's that selfishness that, uh, and I wouldn't call it, well, it is selfishness because all they do is they think about themselves. Why me? Whoa, me. How come, how come me? Right. And they got the proverbial mirror in front of their face and all they can see is themselves and they can't see anybody else. Um, so as you go through their life, as you go through this slow process of, of sharing who God is, um, is there ever a point where you say, well, this is too deep or there's, there's too much here or you need to stay two weeks or three weeks or, you know, is there a point where that ever happens or, and they just need medical attention or, or what I meant? Do you happen to see those kind of guys? Yeah. I mean, we have certainly people that attend the program that, um, you know, they're addicted to something and they need an addiction recovery program. And, uh, we've had some, some great partners, inpatient programs, facilities that we can send people to. Um, so that, that is, they're just not in a place to hear any truth you know, let alone deep truth. Right. And so we'll try to get them that help and have them come back. That happens for sure. Um, over the years, we have really fought probably more with our, our team leaders, the people who are right. teaching than anyone else about things like the sovereignty of God and, and some of these deeper issues and, and, and reminding those guys over and over and over and over and over again. Um, we need to make a connection. We need to help help our students understand that a relationship with God is the solution. And then we've got the rest of their lives to help them, you know, figure out the rest of this. 
Right. And sometimes it's just that you're so excited for people to know and to understand and to get it that you can go so deep so fast that they don't. I, I used to use a phrase when we were getting started. Uh, we just need to trust the process, right? There's right. a process. Trust the process. What's the process? It, it really begins with after we say, hey, welcome. We're glad you're here. This is what we're doing this week. Um, it begins with somebody, one of our team leaders, getting up and giving their testimony. That's how we start the week. That's great. And, and it's not about necessarily, and then I accepted Christ. It's it's about, this is where I was before I came. This is the stuff I went through. It, it was deep and it was dark and it was horrible, but I found hope and I found purpose and I found direction. And we just want to share that with you this week. And we kind of do that for a couple of days before we really get into, and everything is, you know, there's Bible verses and, you know, we do this because, we just don't start going deep until about day three. And deep for us is you've, you've heard what we've had to say. You've had these conversations with the team leaders. What's different between us and people in every other program you've been? We believe that having a relationship with God, our creator, is really important. Right. And, and, and that has to be the starting point. And here's how you can do that. That's as deep as we go. And I mean, I think the gospel is the deepest, you know, message we could ever communicate. Man. But But we don't then try to explain, you know, some of these other issues because you're right. I don't think a lot of those folks are in a place to hear that or understand it. Right. Um, I was raised in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor. Um, I accepted Christ young. I went to a, a Christian college and I did not ever think about the sovereignty of God until I was standing on a road in Iraq in 2003 as a 25 year old guy. You know, so I think some of those things God just has to bring you through, but the answers are there and you just need the people around you to find the answers. So uh, we keep it as basic, as clear, as gospel focused as we possibly can. Wow. That is so cool. That is so cool. Hey, Jeremy, after, after you got out, you talked a little bit about your struggles, but how do you feel like your relationship with God early in life, the family you grew up in actually though uh, shielded you and helped you with some of the stuff that you experienced in Iraq? Like how, how dark could it have gotten yeah. without that? Do you feel? I, that's a great question. I, I've talked about this a lot. The fact that I had a spiritual foundation and, and, and I wasn't, I, I would only, I'm the only one that would know this, right? But I wasn't as close to God as I should have been while I was in the Marine Corps. But I did sincerely try to maintain a testimony of faith. I, um, you know, I didn't drink. I didn't run around when we were deployed. I didn't. I didn't do any of those things because I believe it wouldn't honor God. <laughs> and I was married, and 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 so a lot of the entanglements that people get into that drag them down the hole. I just, I just never had as a part of my life. So when I came home and started to struggle, I didn't have to deal with alcohol abuse. I didn't have to deal with drug abuse. I didn't have to deal with pornography addiction. Um, I didn't have to deal with, you know, illicit relationships that are somewhere out there. I didn't have to do any of that. And that, that's, that's the glory of God, not me. But, but to your point, it's because of a good upbringing. It's because I was taught right. I had a faithful example in my parents and we were in church. And so when I started to struggle, I was in a much different place than someone who may not believe in God or they're mad at God or they don't know anything other right. than what they've been taught, you know, which is drink a lot and just keep pushing forward. Um, yeah, hugely important, hugely important. 
you know, it's it's crazy that we have the hope that can change their whole life, and yet they want to shun it. You know, that's right. Uh, I love what you said too, that they're, you know, that they've done everything else and this is almost like a last ditch effort. And, you know, this hope that you give them uh, is Jesus Christ, number one. Uh, But it's also, you know, from people that have walked in their boots, so to speak, they've, they've done the road marches. They've done the, 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 the night. um, uh, Oh, I just went brain dead. Um, I forgot all my military ling- lingo, <laughs> night marches and uh, yeah. all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, they're able to say that, listen, it, without Jesus, without God in my life, there was no possible way that I could have gotten through this. That's right. Um, yeah. yeah, that's right. Know, in church, a lot of times, you know, we, we, we see people give their life to the Lord and we expect them not, not, it's not an expectation, but maybe, maybe mentally we think, okay, they're, they, they need to just get clean, you know. Okay, they gave their life to the Lord, and everything's just going to be pristine after after this. And yeah. a lot of times, the church doesn't walk with them through their right. Uh, right. You know, through their ups and downs and their ins and outs, and just battling the flesh. You know, now they're they're having to battle two two things where it used to be just the flesh. Now it's the spirit and the flesh, and so now they're battling that. And they're still struggling yeah. with that. The church doesn't do a really good job with walking walking through those ups and downs. How are you guys? Because I, I I know I mean I've dealt with military guys uh, for a long time, and I know that you know sometimes that flesh takes over, and they just go right back into the yeah you know, some of the the hardships and the alcohol and the drugs and the depression and the anxiety and all of that. How do you guys as you as you have that? you know, six month recovery period or that mentorship. Um, how are you walking with them through that? You know, they may start off and they haven't drank in 20 yeah. days and all of a sudden they hit one yeah. you know, bad spot. And then a lot of times the church will just shun them and say, okay, well, you know, <laughs> I guess you're not saved. Yeah. Uh, which is not the right way to do it, but how are you guys doing it a little bit different? That, I mean, and that's the challenge. I, that's our ongoing struggle. So part of what we do is we try to build in before they leave. You are not going to be successful. I know you feel good about this. Uh, I know you feel like you got it figured out. Um, we, we kind of internally call it the camp high, right? You send a teenager right. to camp and they want to oh, live yeah. for Jesus forever until yeah. Saturday afternoon. Um, yeah, exactly. and, and so there, there is, there is a, a bit of that. They may even have hope for the first time in, in their entire lives. You know, they believe that this can work and it can, um, but we very directly at the end of the program say, this is not going to last. The same problems are going to be there when you go home. Same person you're married to when you left last week, they're going to be there. Uh, same influences. You have to make different decisions. That's why we spend so much time talking about you need to be in a local church. We yeah. will help you get into a local church. We'll introduce you if we can. We'll connect you to a men's pastor or a family pastor or the pastor, depending on where you are. Um, we'll make that connection virtually. We'll do what we can to get you in a, in a church, but you've got to do that. You have to be in the word every day. We spend a lot of time talking about that. We even have a, a class. Um, it's a short class, but at the end of the week, just how to study your Bible, right? very basic. Yeah, you know, good. when you're reading it, what are you looking for and how do you process it? How do you pray and why? Uh, we spend a lot of time talking about what we call life plans. It's, you know, you have an issue, let's say it's, you know, alcohol. Okay. We take them through a, a process, you know, what do you need to change? 
who do you need to put in your life? Who do you need to get out of your life? And then who's going to be what we call a corner man. This is somebody that knows you're struggling with that. And we call them maybe an accountability partner or something um, in a church setting. So we do our very best before they even leave after that week to say, here are the, the things you have to do if you want to continue this, if you want success. And then we make ourselves as available as we possibly can. Um, if you're struggling at any time, you have our phone numbers, you have you know your team leader cell phone number, the mentor cell phone number, you have access through email. We'll stop whatever we have to, to do whatever we need to do to help you. Um, we'll get you a counselor in your area. So the, the, the linchpin or the weakness in this whole process is that the individual has to make a decision right. to, to get help. Right. And so we try on the front end to say, do these things and you'll have help. Um, we try to come alongside. We do our best to speak into that. And, and very often that's exactly what happens. And very often um, it's not. Thankfully, often um, students will make friends of other students while they're at a session and those people will know there's something going on before we will. And so uh, we do our very best, but, but at the end of the day, it does come down to a decision. Um, it, it, you know, it's so funny to say man up, like at the end of the day, you got to man up. You have yeah. to, there's right. no one can do it for you. <laughs> and right. you can have all the tools, all the resources, all the opportunities, the biggest cheering section, but at the end of the day, you have to say, I'm going to get up. Maybe you can't get up on your own, but you at least need to say, I need to get up. Who can I reach out to that's going to help me? Right. That's but that good. decision has to be made. Yeah. Right. So uh, we do our best. But again, at the end of the day, the student has to make a decision that's to really good. get the help right. they need. You know, the irony of the, you know, we hear this in church camp when you have church camp with kids too. It's like the camp high. The yeah. irony that you have the camp high that you can live for Christ forever is because you're doing it correctly. Right. Community right. with other Christians. And yeah, that's right. Together. And then all the, wow, this is super easy. Yeah. When you do it right, when you're not yeah. just going to church one time uh, a week and when you're actually communing and living and eating and and, uh, yeah. and doing life with other Christians, all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is wicked easy. Yeah. And you still have that kid who's smoking pot behind the barn or behind the barn, right? So, yeah, that's yeah. still happening yeah. in church camp. It's not like there's not even in a perfect environment that. like yeah. that, you still have to make a decision to do the right thing. So, right. yeah. And, 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 you know, when you go home and you don't have that environment and you are now around all of those other influences that got you into the mess in the first place. Um, you have to really take a step forward. So, Amen. Yeah. Amen. That is good. You gonna say something, Ben? Yeah, I just want to say, uh, as as Jeremy's sitting here talking, it brought up a a verse that I I I always I always go to a verse, Jeremy, and I, I hope this brings you some encouragement. Not because I think you need it; it's just because I feel like giving you some encouragement. Yeah. One of the reasons why we suffer is for discipleship. Hmm. Paul tells the Corinthian church that two Corinthians one blessed be the God and father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction. So here comes the why that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Yeah. Yep. You know, you you're doing this. You're 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 living this out. You and the organization. I think I've seen Chad on on Jocko Willink's podcast. Yeah, yeah, he was recently on. Nate, when you podcast, said yeah. Robichaux, I I know I've seen him on Jocko's podcast. What you guys are doing here is just absolutely amazing. 
you know, helping these guys, trying to lead them to God. I know it doesn't always happen that way, but the suffering, any suffering that you went through, God has turned it into you discipling other people and teaching them and giving them comfort um, with your testimony and the things that you guys have gone through. I mean, you're living out this scripture right here, Mm. you know, and I, I applaud you guys for it. I mean, all glory to God. Yeah using you guys to do amazing things through dark periods of your life that is now giving light to people. And I just think it's amazing. I just think it's amazing. Oh, praise God. Yes. Praise God. Bless you and, 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 and the ministry. Praise God. So a couple things here real quick. Uh, how are you vetting, um, the people coming in? Anyone who is a veteran, active duty service member, first responder, or spouse of one of those, if you're married to someone in those communities, um, you can fill out an application on the MyYokes website. And then from there, there are some things that we ask for. We want to make sure you actually were in the military or right. married to somebody in the military. So there are a few things. Uh, <laughs> we, we don't overly vet, though. Um, what right. we do more than that is triage. We right. have a certain number of seats available, you know, particularly in the, the session that's upcoming. So if someone's coming out of a program or um, they tried to take their lives last week, we'll do our best to shift things around so they can get into a program right. um, faster. If someone's coming from a church, um, a place that we know they're going to go back to and get the help they need, we'll do what we can to get them in as soon as possible as well, because we know they're going to have that support when they go home. So we don't do a lot of vetting. Although we do a lot of uh, triaging, trying to figure out the best time and place for, for people to get in. That's great. So how can churches get involved? Man, there are, there are a lot of ways. Um, two primarily. One is if churches want to financially support what we do, um, certainly they can do that. Uh, we started out of a local church in Houston, and so we've always had good relationships with local churches. The other way, though, is for churches to be aware of what we do and you know, as a pastor, for me, knowing people in my church are hurting with things that I just maybe don't exactly know how to address. Uh, it, it has been in the past challenging to find a place that I'm, I trust enough to send them to and can, and, you know, sometimes finances are an issue. Um, and so just churches understanding what we do and, and how we do it, asking questions, if they need to ask questions, I'm happy to talk to, I talked to a pastor today for over an hour, um, trying to answer those questions because I know having come from that world, how important that is and how you're stewarding, uh, we're stewarding over, you know, one of your folks. And so, um, just knowing what we do and you may not be the veteran, but you know, someone who is, and we'd love to help you help them. That's great. That's great. So how do, how does the church become one of your go-to churches? Um, is it really based on where they're coming from? You it's gotta... really based on where they're coming from. So okay. this is this is where the, the water gets a little murky sometimes. Okay. Um, sometimes it's very clear. It's very easy. We have a huge net. We've been doing this a long time, so we know a lot of churches in a lot of places. But, man, there are little towns where we don't know, you know, right. a church or the church. Um, we start. During the week, that mentor will get on a website and he'll look at a statement of faith and ask follow-up questions if he needs to and just try to figure it out. So um, so often it's that. But if a church is actively sending folks to attend our program, um, you know, they would be aligned to us probably. And so we would work to 
um, to work with them. But right. yeah, it's um, again, it's, there's not a way. We just are looking for the best church in the community that the student is coming from. And we've gotten it wrong sometimes, but I think we've gotten it right more often than not. Man, websites can be super deceptive, but yes, uh, yes. But when there's a good statement of faith on there, that that tells you a lot of the story. And if we it's have fun. to, we'll we'll call a pastor and talk to him as well. That's good. That's really good. That's one of the things that we uh, we do at Man Up is you know we there, less than ten percent of all churches have a, a vibrant men's ministry, and um, you know we're trying to to, to launch. We're actually launching that by the end of the year. It's a it's a program for the churches that good. teach them how to set up men's groups and that's good. Uh, men's ministry, and we're actually going to kind of like what you're doing here, but we're going to take the leader of that man, the men's group, and actually train them so, uh, to be able to reach the men of his church. And letting the cat out of the bag, man. Yeah. <laughs> <Working on that. laughs> Hold up. I know, but I'm, I'm really excited. I'm really excited <clears throat> about it. You know, we wanted to help churches just establish, you know, just a men's group. You know, yeah, just that's good. Men's, men's ministry and. I always tell the, you know, the, the, the biggest uh, proponent of that should be the pastor and uh, he, sh- he should be right involved in the middle of it. And uh, he, he may not necessarily need to lead it, but he definitely needs to be involved in it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I and mean, again, you could have a whole podcast, maybe you have a podcast about uh, church, <laughs> churches in America, right? But, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we know that most churches are, um, if not pastored by women, they're certainly led by women. And as That's much as I love women, uh, that's not the call that God put on their lives. And the churches have got to take seriously raising up men who can lead. And that's that's what, funny yeah, that you say that. Cause that's, we were having a discussion a couple of weeks ago. You know, I think one of the biggest reasons that we're seeing, you know, lukewarm and woke churches right now is, is the feminization of the church, yep. uh, the emotional side of the church instead of the spiritual side of the church. Yep. Uh, and that's what's, that's what's happening in the United States right now. And it's killing killing the church absolutely there's a perpetuation of it unfortunately i i had one of my friends lamenting to me today a young lady who's part of you know our church bodies and her struggle is just like man i i don't have there's no men in the church for me to even talk to or date or what do i do and and i go on dates with these guys who go to church but they don't know scripture like right. listen to a sermon and you know i'm pretty critical and sh- this is her talking i'm pretty critical of my pastor because i want to make sure that we're you know we're learning biblical things and so i'm talking to the gentleman that i'm taking out what do you think about today's sermon they're like solid good nope. yeah oh nope. great yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you think about this i don't know i've never read that before yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know yeah it's crazy man i, I have a 23 year old daughter and <clears throat> i mean this is the struggle, right? So part of it doesn't help in the work that I do. It makes me super cynical of everyone. But <laughs> but I, I mean, we know that we're told 60%, Covenant Eyes said 60% of men in churches view pornography regularly. Right. 15% of women in churches view pornography regularly. Um, well, <laughs> yeah, what do you do with that, right? And so when you're looking at a, you know, a man to live your life with and churches are right. and there, there are many good men in many good churches. But uh, I think as a church community, we're definitely void of men who understand what it is to be a man. And uh, that, that is the fight. That's the fight. Yeah. I've, I've always said this and I think, you know, two things that, um, you know, people should do, or especially young men at the age of 18 should have to go to the military for two years. 
Um, it does grow you up in a way that. Uh, what are we, North Korea? <laughs> no, I I, 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 I agree. I agree. It, it, it turned my life around. It yeah. gave me direction. I went in for the same reason you did. Yeah. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I was an upper middle class spoiled kid. And that was my way to get out of the house and, and what I walked into, even in the Air Force. Yeah. Which, you know, Jeremy's changed a lot from being, you know, thinking that he's great and doing all this, but he has no shot, no problem taking <laughs> shots at the Air Force, still uh -huh. doesn't he? But anyway. Yeah. yeah. But, Imagine where you'd be if you had gone into the military, though. Even as a Marine, he was a lieutenant. Or but it gave me officer. more. He had it made. Yeah, yeah. it gave me it <laughs> gave more routine in my life. It taught me that you don't get to skip work. You got to go right, to work right. every day. It taught yeah. me a lot of things. So I, yeah. I agree. I think that I think at age of 18, they should go to the military for two years. And then the next two years, they should go to a third world country. Yeah. And just, you know, just see what it's like and, you know, just realize how good you really have it right. here. United States, especially. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, man, I, I am, I'm in love with your ministry. I love what you guys yeah. are doing and man, God has, has his fingerprints all over this. Uh, I'm really excited about, you know, uh, getting to know you and getting to know the ministry. And, uh, we would love to help you out any possible way that you, you know, maybe God says something or does, you know, lead some way. I mean, we would love to be a part somehow, some way of, uh, of your ministry, whether it's just spreading the word about it or, um, you know, helping uh, veterans just figure out to get on the website and just make a call or fill it out. And, you know, we need to we need to do a better job of helping save their lives. And yeah. we all know sitting at this table and, and you sitting there that Jesus will save your life. Jesus right. will change your life. Jesus will give you the hope that you didn't have. Um for most of your life, uh, it, it will change you in a, in a way that, uh, um, no, nothing else will. The yeah, alcohol, that's right. The alcohol won't do it. The drugs right. won't do it. The pornography won't do it. Uh, the self self basing, uh, ba self debating. Why well, I, I can't even self deprecation. Thank you. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Um, but man, I'm, I'm really excited about what, what you guys are doing. You know, a lot of the military uh, foundations have gotten a bad rap over the last few years, you know, just some doing some stupid stuff yeah. And, yeah. Money and, and different things like yeah. that. Do you guys, are you guys uh, a part of the, like the EFCA or the, um, I can't think of what the, it's all, it's almost like an accounting firm that does all of that. I mean, keeps, keeps you above board. Yeah, we are. Um, so in addition to that, we, but we have to now, but we have always um, submitted to a third party audit uh, awesome. every year. And that's on our website. You can find that uh, that audit on our website, we make our 990 available on our website. Um, we have a great board, not only our exec executive board, but a board of advisors. So we do our best financially to stay as transparent in every other way as well, but, but financially to stay as, as transparent as possible. Um, and a lot of that is people can see the work that we're doing and know that we're doing what we say we'll do. Uh, but also we want people to know that when they support us, that we are stewarding over the resources that they entrust us with. So, yes, sir. That is great. Now, the 35 camps are those stationary camps that you have those same camps every year. So you've kind of got a, a good handle on that. I we mean, have. 
yeah, the facilities, we have five different places that we hold those and the, the schedule will change a little bit um, from year to year, right. but it, it basically stays the same. So we have a facility in uh, Central California, in Paso Robles, California, um, two in Texas, one in Ohio and one in Virginia. And so uh, we just cycle through, you know, as often as we can. Um, originally, the thought was it would be very regional. Um, right. It's, it's, it's not. Right. <laughs> we uh, we work with schedules more than we do locations. So uh, when you are available, we'll get you to where you where you need to go. So how did uh, how did COVID hurt hurt the ministry? Like I, I can't. I mean, I know I know what it did for my ministry. I can't imagine what it did for you know. All of a sudden, ice. The worst thing that you can possibly do to a veteran is isolate him. Right. You know, um, and that for that however long it was for the area that you were in. I mean, a lot of people were isolated and I don't think we've seen the major problems from that yet. I, I think they're still oncoming. No. And you know, some of that data is coming out and even as it pertains to the military suicide rates, particularly on the active duty side um, skyrocketed during the period of, of lockdowns. Wow. It, it, it impacted us. Not, not from a donor standpoint, you know, thankfully, but we do in-person camps. And so we had to shut all of those down in March of 2020, when everything else shut down, all of that was shut down. And our team then immediately developed within about a week, <laughs> developed wow. an online, we did all our classes online and then God. pushed that out to our applicants and started making phone calls, uh, texting, doing what we could to connect to the people who were in the pipeline to attend programs. And some of those programs that got shut down we did again everything we possibly could, and then we had some friends, large. Um, they were donors, but um, people of means who right. also had had their own facilities personally, um, privately that they made available to us. So yeah. even before things started opening up, we started running our program again, um, just kind of out of the limelight, and so we were able to get things rolling again within a few months of everything shutting down. It wasn't wow. at the same capacity, but uh, again, going through that triage process, those who really needed it badly um, and couldn't wait, <laughs> even with online and the rest of it, uh, we started programs up and you know, praise God for those folks stepping in and saying, hey, do what, do what you need to do. We've got a place for you. And, and we did. That is awesome. Yeah. Good. I'm glad because, you know, you, you let them out there long enough by the, the veterans out there long enough by yeah. themselves. And you know, that's, that terrible. Can, yeah, I terrible. Can imagine. Yeah. yeah. Terrible. So, uh, again, we're so blessed just to, to hear your story, Jeremy, and, and the, the ministry that you have here. You also have a podcast called March or die. Yes. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, uh, I wrote a book, um, a few years ago called March or die, and it was about my time in Iraq. And I'll tell a story, something that happened while we were in Iraq, and then make a spiritual application. The, the basic principle is that in all of our lives, we have to make a decision. We can stay where we are and die spiritually, right. emotionally, <laughs> relationally, not physically, hopefully. But if you're not moving forward, you're effectively dead. So right. we can decide to do that if we want to, or we can march, put one foot in front of the other and keep moving forward. So that's the principle that carries through that book. And my podcast is, is that I... I talk about principles for moving forward and, and a lot of have guests on and other um, 
Sometimes it's just me talking about a principle or a perspective on marching and dealing with with trauma, difficulties, obstacles, uh, relational struggles. But how do we march? How do we move forward when it would be easier to stay where we are and die? And I talk about that um, every week. And that, again, is linked out on my uh, web page, jeremystonker.com. My story on marching was in boot camp. I left my uh, weapon sitting up on the uh, <laughs> next to a tree, and my drill sergeant found it. And yeah, so, not good. Yeah, I know it was not good at all. No, so I got I got the. As a matter of fact, it was a rubber ducky. It wasn't even it wasn't even my M sixteen. It was just the big old fat rubber piece of gun. It looked like yeah. a gun. So I had to yeah. carry it. I had there had hundred and sixty guys in our platoon, and so I had to carry it. You know, arms stretched out all the way around the platoon as they're marching down the road i had to walk fast i thought i was gonna die that day oh my gosh. so i didn't die but i was and yeah i was marching i was still yeah you keep moving forward keep moving forward <laughs> i told yeah. you guys before the i told you guys before the podcast started that we went to uh fort Dix, new jersey for airbase ground defense training and uh uh, what's his name? Uh, for goes is going to hit the camera. Yeah. And, and so, <laughs> so, we, uh, that's right. so we, uh, we're, we're out on some type of bivouac or whatever they called it in the army and we're marching. And so we get to the woods and we've got these, whatever they were 50, 60, I always say like 70 pound rucksacks. <laughs> and one of, one of, uh, one of the air force guys, now we're with some army instructors right. And so there's this captain with us and he's, you know, ripped and he's, you know, he's skinny, probably can run for miles. and He's just overly excited about everything. And so one of the guys uh, in my platoon or our group, he laid his M16 up against a tree and he went to pee. And we saw the captain who was probably 30 to 40 yards away, spot the rifles and they told us, don't let us get your rifle. And so he just takes off running and we're yelling at this air force troop, get your rifle. So he's trying to, you know, butt his pants up, zip them up. And right as the captain goes to grab it at a full speed, the kid snatches it and gets (laughs) it first. And, and, but the captain's rucksack didn't stop. And he went head (laughs) over heels, like probably three rolls. And he jumped up and he looked and he goes, you're lucky. I didn't get that weapon. And he was laughing. It was so funny, man. But we thought he was going to kill us. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It was so funny. Great stories like that. Yeah. Everybody's got all good military stories for right. sure. Yeah, they're they're good looking back. They're not good in the moment though. That's no, the, they're not. The thing, right? uh, yeah, not at all. No. So um, now I, I'm assuming you do speaking events as well. Yeah, we do uh, do quite a bit of, of speaking at churches. Um, as I mentioned, uh, military units will have us come and do. We call it, they call it spiritual resiliency. Um, for us, it's giving our testimony, but they don't right. know that, so we call it, we call it spiritual right. resiliency. Uh, we do quite a bit of speaking. Yeah. So um, our programming, that's our focus, of course, those those week long programs. But we've spoken to several hundred thousand folks through resiliency events where we give our testimony. Um, I have the opportunity to preach often and present Mighty Oaks. And so, um, yeah, there's always something going on. And that's been honestly, it's been a huge blessing to be able to do that as well. You know, to go about go go and talk about what we do. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, anything else you want to plug or like say to the audience or even to the, the men and women of our, our military services and first responders, sure. uh, why don't you uh, leave them with an encouraging word? Yeah. Well, I, uh, I appreciate you guys. And just even having this conversation, 
I think the the best thing that I could say or the thing that I could leave anyone with is that there is hope. There's always hope. And as hopeless, as dark, as difficult as things may seem, and they, they certainly do. Sometimes when I talk about these issues, it seems like I am uh, diminishing the difficulties that people go through. And people go through such difficult, difficult things. I would never diminish that. Amen. But we don't want to stop and focus on it either. There is hope in a God who is sovereign, who does have a plan and understanding that there is hope. Sometimes we say, well, that hope is for someone else. Just know that there are a lot of people just like you who, who have lived through some of the same things you've lived through that have found that hope. And you can too. You just need to take that step and, and make it happen. Maybe that's through a church. Maybe that's through friends, uh, family, other people, people who are trying to help you <laughs> may not know how, but they're trying. Um, maybe it's through the Mighty Oaks Foundation or other great organizations. So please just take that step and reach out and trust God to give you the help you need and find that hope. Mm, that's good. That's yeah. good. Well, folks, you can check out uh, more of Jeremy Stallnecker at jeremystallnecker.com. Uh, it is in the chat. It is on the website. Our, I'll our, even repost it. It's on our Facebook page as well as awesome. YouTube pages as well. You'll see the link. Uh, tomorrow we'll have this recording on our podcast. You'll be able to check that out at uh Apple iTunes, as well as Spotify and Podomatic as our hosting uh, platform. We'd love for you guys to to be able to check it out and listen to it at your leisure. Uh, Jeremy, it has been a pleasure, honestly, to have you uh, here. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll be oh, thank you. you and uh, let us know if there's anything that we can do for you, help market something, um, talk to talk to whoever, and uh, we would uh, love to partner with you somehow. Awesome. Well, thanks for what you guys do and letting us be here. Yeah, thank you. Amen. Well, God bless. You guys have a great night, and we will see you guys next Monday. You've been listening to the Man Up God's Way podcast. Visit us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, and our website at manupgodsway.org.